Amen. Thank you, choir. This is a full choir today. Man, this is just neat to see. What a great reminder that no matter what we're going through today, God is the one who reigns. All power, all glory, all dominion is given unto him. And whatever we go through in this life that is not of him will one day fade away. He will win in the end. That's our hope as Christians that we cling to. Thank you, choir, for that great reminder. Deborah Hall-Williams on piano today. Thank you, Deborah, for filling in so ably, and Jim Ayler uh, helping us out. We're going to hear an update from our search committee today at the end of the service, so just um, nothing special yet, but just hang in there. We're, we're getting closer, so God is moving, and we're seeking to be obedient and follow him, and part of that movement is through discipleship. As we study God's word together, like Jim said, we love God's word here, and we believe that, that this is the written revelation of God to us, and therefore we teach and preach this because I have nothing to give you of my own apart from the word of God. So today we're going to dive into the second part of the gospel of John. We've been walking through really the first half of the gospel of John for the last eight months. Congratulations, you're two-thirds of the way through. You've done great. Two-thirds of the way through eight months. We're going to spend the last four months now on this second half of the book. And it's a glorious gospel of the, the, the story of Jesus Christ. I pray that you're uh, learning and that you're growing as we dive into this. I mentioned last week how at this point in the gospel of John, Jesus' public ministry is over. From, from this point on, we're headed directly to the cross. At, at this point, he's only with his disciples, and we are firmly in the shadow of the cross. You know, in a few short hours after this, Jesus Christ will be lifted up to bear the sins of the world on his shoulders. And as Christians, the entire core of our faith, the center of what it means to be a Christian, is based on these events that we're headed towards. The death of Jesus Christ, his burial, and his resurrection. Those are the essentials of what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes we reduce Christianity to sin management. You know, pray this prayer and your sins will be forgiven and you can go to heaven. But that's not the gospel that we see in scriptures, at least not in the gospels. We see the power of the atoning death of Jesus and his defeat of death as he rose again from the dead that glorious Easter Sunday. But before we get there, before we get to the passion narrative and the crucifixion, we have this beautifully intimate table discussion in the upper room in chapters 13 through 17. Some scholars call this the, the farewell discourse because Jesus is saying goodbye, basically, in these five chapters. Others call it the upper room discourse. And it starts here in chapter 13. Alan set it up so beautifully for us. I know Alan's class has been going through the, the Gospel of John with us in his prayer. He, it starts with a, a, a clear call from Jesus to love and serve one another. It's a passage that many of you who are members of Woodmont will know well because we, we read this passage every year at our Maundy Thursday service. I find that every time I read it, however... I'm challenged and I'm inspired in new and exciting and difficult sometimes ways. 
So let's stand if you're able to as I read our text for this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, I, I always think it's interesting to read people's last words. I, I think those lists of famous last words are fascinating. Before you go tweeting any of this out, this is probably a mixture of fact and some legend, okay? So take it with a grain of salt. Pope Alexander VI, last words were, wait a minute. Max Bayer, the boxer from the 30s, said, oh God, here I go. Caesar Augustus' last words were, the play is over, applaud. Winston Churchill's last words were, I'm so bored with it all. George Harrison, my favorite Beatle, said, love one another. I wonder where he came up with that. That's interesting. Teddy Roosevelt's last words were, please put out the light. And recently it was revealed that the last words of 
Steve Jobs, the Apple uh, founder, were wow, wow, wow. Wonder what he saw. The farewell discourse of John is not recorded in the other three Gospels in Matthew, Mark, or Luke at all. And these are the last words of Jesus Christ before his death and burial and resurrection. So there's a certain kind of urgency, there's a certain weight to these words in chapters 13 through 17 that carry significance. And there's a big difference here in Jesus' teaching than in the first half of John, because in the first half of John, Jesus was talking to the Jewish authorities and to the Samaritan woman and to uh, these these different um, Jewish crowds that had gathered around him in the wilderness. But here, he's talking to his followers. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ here today, these words have special significance for you personally and for me As our church focuses on discipleship this year, what does it mean to follow Jesus with all that we are, to to pursue him as Lord and master and rabbi and teacher, then we should focus on what the Gospel of John is telling us that Jesus said to his disciples. And Jesus, again, he chooses to set the tone for the entire discourse by by teaching us about servanthood and not only telling us, but showing us as all good teachers do. Kent Hughes, one of my favorite commentators here, says that Jesus is teaching us to become people of the towel. People of the towel. We have an example here of a savior of the towel. You know, Jesus did not come to us as a conquering war hero with a suit of heavy armor and with weapons at the ready and with chest of gold that were being pulled in a train behind him. No, he came as a humble servant. That's the kind of God we serve. He, he did not overthrow Rome, did he? But he instead overthrew the entire sinful world order. He overthrew death itself. He overthrew all the powers that be in order to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So he shows us the example. And there's an example, there's three points I want to make today, and you'll see as we kind of go along the the example that Jesus sets. And it starts with point number one, with having a heart like his. He shows us what the heart of the servant looks like. Look at verse 1 again. It's easy to skip over verse 1, but it's really important. Now, before the feast of the Passover, the most special and famous feast of all for the Jews, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The servant's heart is full of love. The servant's heart is one of agape, gift love, the kind of love that seeks the best for the other without so much a thought as to what I get out of it. It's the kind of love that Peter says in 1 Peter 4.8 that covers a multitude of sins. It's our response to the amazing love that God first showed us and now engenders in us as a fruit of 
the Spirit. It's the kind of love that you and I on our own aren't capable of producing, but by following Jesus and by receiving his Holy Spirit into our hearts is cultivated in us as a fruit of the Spirit, enabling us to love as Jesus first loved us. So I was listening to a podcast recently that illustrated this idea of, of loving others and having the heart of a servant love, agape love. He's a pastor out in Redding, California. A friend sent this to me. He's here today. And Bill Johnson at Bethel Church in, in California. It's a charismatic church. And he's used to, you know, in demonstrative worship, there, there may be some distractions, right? But he was at a, a, another nearby charismatic church, not his church, he said. And there was a lady who uh, would only sing during the breaks in the song. <laughs> she wouldn't sing the words that you were supposed to sing, but when there was a break, she would sing her own song and make up her own words and just blurt it out. And she had this really high, piercing, falsetto voice that just kind of shot through everything. And, and he, you know, it's, it's cool to sing a new song, and he's all for expressing yourself in worship, but... He said it was super annoying. It just got really, really annoying. Got on his nerves. And there were these two teenagers sitting right in front of this lady. And, and he could tell they were trying so hard to worship. They were singing the songs, you know. But in the breaks when she would sing, uh, they would just break down and start kind of giggling and look at each other. And he said, man, they kept trying. He said they were working really hard at staying engaged and staying focused. And he was so impressed that after the service, he came up to these two teenagers and he I'm not doing this, by the way, but he, he handed them each a $20 bill, and he said, you guys earned this. You guys tried really hard today. Keep coming back. Keep worshiping. Keep plugging in. staying focused. And then there was a lady sitting near them who knew this other lady, and she approached Bill, and she said, how about that lady, huh? He said, yeah, give me a break. Yep, that lady was ruining everybody's worship, you know? She said, yeah, it's an amazing story. She was a prostitute for 35 years, and now she's free in Christ Jesus. Whew. He just melted. He just melted right there. It reminded him of, of something his father, who was also a pastor, had, had taught him. His father used to say, wash someone's feet until you know why they walk the way they do. Wash someone's feet until you know why they walk the way they do. Every one of us has a story. Every one of us comes from some broken background. Every one of us has family baggage that we all bear. It starts with our heart. It starts with how we are inclined towards each other, how our hearts are oriented towards the other. It's so easy to let the things of this world jade our hearts, callous our hearts, distract our hearts, and even annoy our hearts when it comes to how we deal with other people. But the love with which Christ loved us makes our hearts tender and compassionate towards the plight of the other. This is why a few verses later we receive a new commandment, a mandatum novum, right? The new commandment where we get the, the word mandi, to love one another just as Jesus has loved us. That's the sermon for next week. Come back. I'm going to save that for next week right there. 
After we see the the heart of the servant, that Jesus loved his disciples and loved them to the very end with agape love, now we move on to point number two, the example of the servant. Jesus enacts what servanthood looks like. We see in this, this passage the final Passover meal between Jesus and his disciples in the room that was prepared for them. And the the Passover Seder is not so much a meal as it is a worship service. Has anyone here ever participated in a Passover Seder? It's powerful. Yeah, a lot of you have. Every element of the meal is meant to represent some aspect of the Exodus narrative of God's amazing, powerful deliverance of his people from bondage in Egypt out into the promised land. It's a worship experience. And in the middle of this powerful worship time with Jesus and his disciples, Jesus stands up and takes off his cloak and puts on a towel around his waist. Jesus, the one who, by whom all creation was spoken into existence. Jesus, the anointed one that was prophesied in the entire Old Testament. Jesus, the divine son of the living God, puts on a towel and begins to serve his disciples in one last act of ministry. In R.G. Tasker's commentary, he says that this act wasn't in spite of his divinity, like I was going to say. He said he got up and served his disciples because of his divinity. It's the kind of God that we serve, the kind of God who would enter this world and put on flesh in order to redeem it all back unto himself is the same God who stood up and washed his disciples' feet. When the text says here in verse 4 that Jesus laid aside his outer garments, it's important that the, the gospel writer uses the same word, the verb that's used for laid aside is the same verb that he used back in chapter 10 when he says that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This isn't just about serving one another. This is about giving the life of Jesus for our sins and for our lives. What Jesus does here isn't just about some kind of surface servant act to feel good about what we do. It's prophetic It's an example and a foreshadow of the ultimate act of love that Jesus would soon perform on our behalf. He's enacting the truth as well that he proclaimed, he prophesied about himself in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many you see that the service of Christ and his sacrificial death are inextricably linked. He sets aside his cloak here just as he would lay down his life for us. He sets aside his cloak just as he had set aside his glory as the Son of God. He takes up a towel just as he took up the form of a human servant. He pours the water into the basin just as he would soon pour out his blood in order to wash our sins away. 
It's the perfect example of what Jim read earlier from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says to the church in Philippi, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or exploited, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, stinking human flesh. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It's a powerful text, and it's true in Christ. Have you ever been part of a foot washing service? There are some denominations that make foot washing, actual physical foot washing, a sacrament of, of what they do. It can be a really powerful experience, right? But it can also be a little awkward, right? If you don't like people touching your feet, it can be a little weird. And I, and there's all these thoughts that go through my head. Oh, that water's freezing. What's going on? We couldn't get some hot water in here? What? Oh, I should have worn different socks. I didn't know we were doing this today. Why didn't they give us a, a heads up? All these thoughts go through my head. I wonder what the disciples were thinking in this moment. I wonder if any of them were reminded of the prophecy of Isaiah who said, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, gospel. I wonder what Judas was thinking. Are you kidding me? This guy is going to do this now? I got to meet the guards outside in a few minutes. Let's move this along. But we don't have to wonder what Peter was thinking. Peter has no filter between his head and his mouth. I have that same problem sometimes. Look at verse 6. When Jesus gets to Peter, Peter blurts out, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus gently answers him, what I'm doing you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. Trust me, is what he's saying. And Peter says to him, no way. You shall never wash my feet. <laughs> I love Peter. I think he's a seven on the Enneagram. I'm a seven, so I, I relate to Peter. He just goes, jumps first, and thinks later. Remember that he's really well-meaning, but he just doesn't get it. He's not thinking before he speaks. Jesus knows best. It's never good to correct the living son of God, is it? But Jesus does it over, I and mean, Peter does it over and over again. Remember that after Jesus says, who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus says, yes, Peter, you got it. You're finally getting it. And then a few verses later, Jesus explains he's going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to be crucified. And, and Peter says, no, no way, God. No way, Jesus. These things are never going to happen to you. You're the Messiah. I just said, you're the son of the living God. If anyone lays a hand on you, I'm going to fight him. I'm going to cut that soldier's ear off. And Jesus says to him, what? Get behind me, Satan. Yikes. So Jesus, again, handles Peter so gently with so much patience. In verse 8, if I don't wash you, he says at the end of verse 8, you have no share with me. 
So now Peter jumps too far to the other side. Then wash all of me, Jesus. <laughs> I want to be yours completely. His, his heart just swings one side or the other. I love it. He's, he's a guy who, when he sees Jesus walking on the water and he's in the boat, he says, I'm coming, Jesus. He puts on his cloak and says, like, oh, I got to be presentable. And then he jumps into the water. That's not going to help. And then he's, he's standing on the water and things are going great. And then he starts to freak out when the wind and the waves come and he's terrified and he starts to sink. Why would he jump out of the boat anyway? I don't know, but I love his heart. Jesus explains to Peter that he doesn't need a full washing. He doesn't need a baptism. He's already been made clean by believing in Jesus as the Messiah. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not performing baptisms. He's washing feet. It's about being a servant and that daily cleansing that Alan prayed earlier that we would receive as Christians the daily cleansing that comes from being close to the heart of our Savior. This leads to the final aspect of Jesus' servant example. He's already shown us his heart. He's enacted the example. And now the third point, Jesus now gives us the challenge of the servant. He asked the disciples in verse 12, do you understand what I've done? It's a teaching moment. It's something for them to grasp in their heads and in their hearts. In Luke chapter 22, we get a little more context for what's going on in the disciples' hearts when they're at the Last Supper. We see in, in Luke's gospel that at the Last Supper, the disciples are arguing. Remember this? What are they arguing about? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the lead disciple? Who's going to be the apostle in charge? Who's going to have the most control? Who's going to get the most attention? Who's going to have the most authority in this new movement, this new body that Jesus is creating? You know, even though they had followed Jesus for three years and believed in him and left everything behind to follow him as Lord and Master, their pride was still running things in their hearts. Usually at a, at a banquet meal like Passover, the servants of the house would be there to greet the guests as they arrived and they would wash their feet before the meal. But in the case of the upper room here, when there are no servants, it was the job of those who arrived first. The early arrivers would then turn around and wash the feet of those who got there later. But apparently, this didn't happen. Apparently, none of the disciples thought that they were, were going to stoop to that level of foot washing because Jesus had to do it for them. The disciples may have already, already been arguing on the way over to the upper room about who was the greatest. It was an incredibly lowly act to wash feet. It was worse than you know, taking the garbage out or scrubbing the toilets. The Jewish law, the, the Midrash that was added to the Old Testament law, forbade Hebrew slaves from having to perform foot washing. That was such a lowly duty, it was only reserved for those pagan Gentile slaves. You see, the disciples were willing to fight for the throne, but none of them wanted the towel. 
So Jesus gives them and us this powerful challenge starting in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord Adonai, and your teacher, Rabbi, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus uses here, we got a lot of attorneys in our church here. Lawyers call this an a fortiori uh, uh, argument. If it's true for the greater, then how much more true is it for the lesser? If Jesus, the Lord of all, values the towel, then how much more should we value the towel? If it was right and appropriate for Jesus to wash feet, then how much more is it appropriate for you and I to wash feet? You know, I love going to Green Hills Grill. It's kind of my, my go-to lunch spot uh, when I'm around town. The food's always good. I'm not a paid endorser. I, if they want to hook me up, I'll, I'll take it. But uh, the, the service is always great there. And I think it stops, starts at the, the top down, right? I, I know a lot of you like it because I've seen a lot of you there uh, eating lunch. And one time I was there with a, a church member and he, he pointed out the owner of the restaurant to me. And I said, that guy can't be the owner. He, he's dressed in the same uniform as the servers. I think he's just a server. He was working harder and, and faster than anybody else too. And, and he, he didn't order anyone around. He, he didn't have a suit on. He wasn't in command of the place. He was just bussing tables as fast as he could. And, and carrying food out from the kitchen when he was able to, and doing whatever needed to be done, getting people refills, checking on him the whole time. I couldn't believe that he was the owner, so I stopped him, and I, I introduced myself, and I said, are you, are, are you the owner here? And he smiled, and he said, I'm just the head busboy. And he actually had a towel in his hand. Ministry is one of our five core purposes as a church. Serving others, meeting the needs of those around us. If we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, we must be people of the towel. More specifically, Jesus tells us we are to wash one another's feet. I know people, and I've been guilty of this, who will travel to a third world country in order to serve the poor, but they won't speak kindly to their brother. Sometimes it's hard to wash the feet of those closest to us. It's hard to serve our wives, our husbands. Washing the feet of our kids is countercultural. Stooping to wash the feet of an enemy is almost unheard of and seen as stupid. But Jesus said in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The word for blessed also means happy. Our series this month is on best practices that God's ways lead to flourishing in a thriving, abundant life. The way to flourishing is the way of humble service. The thriving, abundant life is not one of bossing people around, but being the busboy 
with a towel in our hands. The same thing's true with a thriving church. If we're going to be a healthy, abundant life kind of church, we must seek out ways to serve one another as we build up the body in love, as Ephesians 4 says. And like actual foot washing, it can be awkward. It can be messy at times. Dealing with people is never a straightforward enterprise. I got a buddy who's a pastor in town. He said, man, pastoring would be great if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> I didn't agree, of course. I said, my people are perfect. We're all broken. We all are deeply flawed by sin. But we have a Savior who's shown us his heart. He's enacted an example, and he's given us a clear challenge to accept. And his message is one of radical gospel, good news that changes us and others into a whole new kind of community. One where the least becomes the greatest and one where the weak becomes strong. Let's love them like Jesus loves. Let's follow the example that he has set for us and let's accept the challenge to do what he does then we will be people of the town. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for showing us your heart, for loving your followers, including us, with an agape gift love that spared no expense, even your own life. God, I thank you that you loved us to the end, never gave up on us when we were stubborn, when we fall down, when we return to our sin as a dog returns to its vomit, God, the Proverbs say that we return to our folly. God, thank you for not leaving us, for not abandoning us, for not forsaking us. God, I thank you that you don't set some kind of standard of being a, a CEO or a, a wealthy executive or a government politician, but you set an example of a servant something we all can aspire to be. God, I pray that you would make our hearts tender and compassionate towards those around us. May we see others the way you see them, as opportunities to minister to them in the name of Jesus Christ, not in order to fix them, not even in order to help them, but to serve them, to put ourselves beneath them, to stoop, below them in order to wash their feet as you have washed ours. I'm so thankful, God, for all the encouragers in this church who encourage me on a daily basis, who pray for me and my family. God, may we pray for each other. May we encourage one another. May we visit one another in times of need. May we all constantly be thinking about how to build one another up as the body of Christ, and in doing so, become the abundant life kind of church that you have in mind for Woodmont Baptist. God, we thank you for people who show us the example. There's so many servants in this church who give and give and give because they love to. They're not seeking recognition. They're not seeking any kind of honor other than the honor and glory that you give them by being your child and following your example. May we all learn to meet needs like you have met needs. I pray that you would humble us and break our hearts where it needs to be broken. We pray these things in the powerful name of our risen Lord Jesus. Amen.
We're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to sing, Make Me a Servant of Appropriate Prayer. I would encourage you, if you don't feel like singing and you can't sing these words honestly, don't sing. But if you're ready to lift up a prayer to God, make me a servant, God, I can't do it on my own. I'm so selfish. I return to my own things that I want. Then sing it from your heart to God's heart. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and become a Christian, I'd love to invite you to come forward now and make that a public profession of faith. I invite Trey, I invite Jane, if you'll come up here, if you want to pray with one of these people or me, just need something you need prayer for, I invite you to come and pray now. I know there's a lot of hurting people in our church, and that's part of living in this broken world. But praise God, we have a Redeemer who's conquered it. In this world, we'll have tribulation, but take heart, He has overcome the world. If you want to join Woodmont, if you want to become a member of this family of faith and join in what God's doing here, I invite you to come forward and make that a public uh, profession as well, that you come forward as a candidate for membership here at Woodmont Baptist Church. Whatever it is you need to do, I invite you to stand at this time as we sing, Make Me a Servant.